0: What's up? We want to give thanks to all of our amazing sponsors. Piper Diamonds, your hometown jeweler. Bling, bling at PiperDiamondCo.com. TheCardenasLawGroup.com, your concierge level service, which is for all your personal injury needs. And Compton Broomhead Dental at MunsterDental.com. This is top level luxury dental care and Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas. Safety first since 1927. All right, Kelly Cardenas podcast, let's go.
1: Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast, where we stare at each other awkwardly for 15 seconds. Um, this uh, I'm so excited to be able to have on today uh, U.S. Army Master Sergeant Cedric King, this guy is an author, he's got his book, you want to check that out, called The Making Point, uh, How to Succeed When You're at Your Breaking Point. He's got a bronze star, a purple heart. Um, this man, his attitude precedes him. On Instagram, it's Cedric King MSG. On Facebook, he told me that you can't holler at him because he's too cool. He's got too many people on Facebook, so don't even try and go there, but it is Cedric King. On LinkedIn, it's Cedric King. Cedric, do you have a TikTok?
0: I do not have a TikTok, but but let me say this. My daughters are have been asking me to help set up a TikTok account and get hot on TikTok. So uh, I will be setting one up within the next week or two, um, developing content and blast it out there too. I try and make sure that I put out content for people to begin their day with or maybe finish their day right with. Uh, I do workouts. I do motivational posts, parts of when I'm on the stage and sometimes just, you know, prayers and thoughts that I've had that come at me throughout the day, you know.
1: Well, I think it's incredible, man. I mean, you're inspirational to so many people that are around. I remember when I got a chance to meet you, I met you. Uh, I actually saw you and wanted to be your friend before you wanted to be my friend. Um, I saw you. I got to see you speak at, a, at an event, and it was, it was tremendous. Um, you know, because of the attitude, the attitude for you, like, you, you take away people's excuses. You were on, uh, was, it, was it your second tour in Afghanistan?
0: I was on my second tour in Afghanistan. Yes. My third tour, all I mean, you know, combined. Okay, so, so
1: you go, you go through that. You uh, you you step on an IED, right? Yeah. Um You step so on it's that. Called
0: a, it's called an improvised explosive device. Uh, okay. You can look it up. That's the term that that most people go with. Uh, it's just basically like a homemade explosive um, that causes the person, the actual person that's walking on it to To make it explode, okay um, you know a, to, to to mine uh you step on it and it explodes, and that's that's what I stepped on about maybe about ten fifteen maybe twenty pounds of explosives, maybe
1: twenty pounds so that was uh it was july twenty fifth two thousand twelve
0: yeah, okay, yeah, so it's almost as a matter of fact, you know what, now that you say that it gets eerie when you say that, that's in like two days two days, okay, yeah, in two days. Two days, it'll be my eighth alive year.
1: A quote that you've said to me before, and you said to me today before we started recording, was, you could keep my legs. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll take the attitude.
0: Yeah, yeah. All Help day long, it. man. All day long, twice on Sundays. Uh, look, I am at a, I'm at the point now where, it, you know, go back and you say, man, I wish I could have this back, or I wish I could have that back. We say that all the time. I wish I could go back to when I was this age or that age wish I could go back with what I know now, back then. If I could go back and get the legs, but lose the mentality that I have now, I'd be in a world of hurt, man. What I've learned over the last eight years is invaluable. I, bro, it, you could take the legs, man. You keep the legs. Leave me with the mentality, I'll be just fine. Because that is the true gift that came when I lost my legs. And, I, and I'm pretty sure I talk to people all over the country and they say, hey, look, I wouldn't trade anything uh, for for the, what the cancer taught me or what the leukemia taught me. I see the same thing. I wouldn't trade anything because what this experience of, of living life without a pair of legs, conditioning your mind to operate with less and do more with less. Man, that's a valuable commodity to have at any stage in your life. I just so happened to have it when I turned 34. But, bro, if I could have done that earlier, maybe maybe I would have taken it. But I tell you what, man, it came at the perfect time where faith, mentality, perseverance, perspective, it all intersected at just the right time, man where I'm able to, to be able to share these lessons with people and maybe give them a shortcut or a shorter cut to, to maybe unlock their, their challenges, you know, to maybe give them the answer key or the cheat code to what they're trying to figure out, you know?
1: Absolutely. So you, you grew up, uh, you grew up in Norlina. That's what, that's yeah. what the town is called. It's a small town. How many, yeah. uh, how many people in Norlina?
0: Uh, probably maybe not. Maybe a thousand. Maybe a thousand. Okay, so a thousand. It has one post office. It has uh two gas stations. This is talking about in 2020. It has two gas, three gas stations. There's three gas stations, and they're all within uh a quarter mile from each other. Uh, no grocery store. Uh, just kind of like a a like a little small uh, uh shopette type of type of thing um very small very small everybody knows everybody um you go to high- you go to kindergarten with the same people you graduate high school with uh thirteen years of of or maybe even you go to preschool I went to preschool with the same people that I graduated high school from so, what-
1: so that's very what took you into the army? Like, what made you uh, think? I mean, did you play sports growing up? Um, Why did you want to do that? And then you went not only into the army, but you went elite in the army. You had so many awards. Um, you know, you went through the Ranger program also too. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. all these things. What What made you want to go that route?
0: Charles, man, I'm going to tell you, this is a great question, and I and I want to share this, especially for anybody young. That's listening. I went to the military because I was so down and out over me not being the best of the best. I thought that if I wasn't a success in school, if I wasn't a success uh, or taking tests, and and doing things the way that the principal list kids did it and doing things the way that the dean's list kids did it, I wasn't going to be a success in life, man. There's no way that you could tell 15-year-old Cedric King that you're going to be a success with the grace that you have. There's no way. There's no way. So I figure, well, I can't sit here and continue to do the things that my friends were doing. My friends had gotten into selling drugs. Um, it started going to juvenile programs and I just, I was like, man, I, you know, with my parents and my grandparents, I would never want to disappoint them, but, but they would kill me if I got into trouble. So I said, well, okay, what I'll do is I'll go to the military and figure it out at a minimum, I thought at a minimum, I'll get my college paid for, and then I'll go to college, you know? But there's no way that I'm college material. Let me go to the military. And if I'm going to squander any money, let it be the money that I you know, make, not the money that my mom is going to have to take out loans and and pay back. I was like, no, I'll go ahead and do it on my own. So I go to the military. And here's where the magic happens at. It ratified everything that I thought of. I began to see that if I just did these four things, these four things that I'm about to tell you, that I would be a success in the military. The drill sergeant says day one. He said, men, I tell you what, this is going to separate the good from the great. He said, all you got to do is four things and you'll be successful and you won't have to worry about me or any of these drill sergeants. Four things you got to do consistently every single day. He said, be at the right time, be at the right place have the right uniform and have the right attitude. If you can do those four things consistently, you won't have to worry about me and my ugly mug beating you down in this sandpit. But if you violate one of my four rules, I'm going to eat you alive. And let me tell you, man, that was the thing that made the difference for me, man. Be on, be at the right time, I could do that. Be at the right place. Kind of easy. It's either going to be upstairs or downstairs. It's either going to be in the bed, asleep or uh, awake in a detention, you know, wear the right uniform. We only had sweats and fatigue. So you're going to be in the right uniform and, and have the right attitude. Having the right attitude is where most of the people in basic training and throughout the military career this is where a lot of people struggle that because you could do three of those things. But if you don't have the right attitude, it won't matter about the first three things. You will always be a, 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 some sort of coming up short without the right attitude. You're always going to be coming up short. The guy said the right attitude looks like this. Even when things are at their lowest, you are making the best out of the situation. He said, man, it's going to rain. It's going to be hot. You're going to sweat. These mosquitoes are going to eat you alive. I'm going to have no pity on you at all. And you're going to be hungry and tired for most of the time that you're going to be in front of me. But if you maintain the attitude that everything is always happening for you, you'll win. That's the right attitude. And man, I took to that like a fish out of water. I, bro, I went right to it because for me, you're telling me I don't have to understand chemistry. I don't have to memorize the whole periodic table. I don't have to know the, 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 the capitals of all 50 states. I don't have to know any of this stuff. I don't have to figure out any trigonometry or any Pythagorean theorem. All I got to do is do these four things and I'll go to the top. He said, yep. And sure enough, man, he wasn't lying. He wasn't lying, man. Those four things helped me go from nothing in the military all the way to the top in a very short amount of time. And I found out since I lost my legs, those four things work with anything. They work everywhere. They work in communities. They work at church. They work at the bar. They work at the, at the, at the community center. They work anywhere. They work in business. They work in families. Everywhere that, those four things work. That's what he didn't tell me. They work everywhere, not just the military. And I will say the same thing. I say the same thing. I'm going to be talking to some football players tomorrow. I'm going to tell them the same thing. Those four things. If you can do those four things consistently, you'll win wherever you want to go. You so, and you'll go to the top of wherever you want to go.
1: So, how have you been able to take? Because I mean, honestly, like when you look at, uh, you know, uh, in today's society, there's all the, you know, if you do, you know, these ten steps, or you do these three yep. steps or you, whatever it is. And it all goes back to principle, right? And that's what you're talking about right now. How have you been able to take those principles and be able to add them into, I mean, you've got a phenomenal speaking career. You've got an incredible book, of, uh, you know, that, that every person that's listening, you need to be able to get a hold of this book. But not only that, you just need to stay in contact with this guy and be able mm-hmm. to listen to him. Because really, one, the first time that I heard you speak, you helped me to take almost every excuse out of my life right? So how have you been able to keep it simple, right? Because in the military, there's, I think that there's so many great, uh, my dad was in the, uh, in the air force and there were so many great principles. How, how have you been able to keep it so simple and be as successful as you've been?
0: Hey, Kels, let me tell you, man, uh, it, it, the military didn't make it complicated. And I feel like that I'm not going to make it complicated for people either. Giving you 15 steps and telling you got to go here, and when you go there, you go here, and then it, it makes it it makes it very difficult. I say I say just make it very simple. If you're going to be a success, find out first first make sure you lead yourself well. Uh it, that's that's the fir- that's the first step number one. Make sure that you're leading yourself well, and if you're leading yourself well, you're going to be able to lead others. But you're also going to have a pretty successful life. And leading yourself well isn't very difficult. It's do what you say you're going to do. When you are not in good alignment with your own conscience, make sure that you do everything that you can do to get in line with your conscience. Try and live a life that when you're when nobody's watching, make sure that you're proud of it. I mean, it's just, it's really simple, man. I, I, and look, and we, we're not always going to be that way, but as much as you can, try and make sure that you live in a place where you are on good terms with your conscience. Um, I pray and I meditate and I make sure that everything, just like the drill song told me, I try and make sure that everything that happens in my life, whether it be challenging or whether it be easy, I make sure that, that, you know, I, I just try to make sure that I'm, I'm the very best that I can. You know, I make sure that I'm proud of who I am. And uh, and I, I make sure that I know that life is always happening for me. Um, that's just I, I should see it in a nutshell, man. Um, now, I will tell you there are complexities after you are in a place where you are grew it with your own conscious and you're understanding that life is always working for you. But, man, those are the two basic things. If you split me open right now, you'll pull those two things out of me, man. So we got to – you we, wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, those are two things I'm going to probably tell you first.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got an East Coast pedigree, right? I mean, but oh, you, did, you did concede. You, you did concede last night because you said that Snoop and DMX went at it. And you yeah. had – I mean, you're
0: an East Coast guy, I'm an East Coast guy, man. I grew up listening to East Coast rappers. I grew up listening to East Coast hip hop. All of that. DC is basically not just the country's capital, but that was the closest big city to where I'm from. And DC was like, to me, more important than New York City, more important than Los Angeles. That was our place to where we say, hey, look, hey, you tell all your friends back in the country, hey, look, Going up to DC. You get status just for going to a big city, telling people you're going to a big city. Man, that's where all we would take all of our school trips. Uh, you would get on a school bus and you would go to DC. You ask your parents for 20 bucks so that you can get some souvenirs. Uh, when we go to a school trip to DC, you know. That was a big that was a big deal, man. So I'm an East Coast guy to the heart, even now, man. But that dog on the West Coast, bro. I go out to the West Coast maybe about 5 6 times a year and man y'all do it differently out there man. I used to live I used to live in the West Coast. That's where I met my wife at. My wife is actually from Washington state. Um that's where I met her at. I was stationed out on the West Coast. And uh man, y'all do it differently out there man. You do. You did, uh, you I did
1: it, you did say you you did say listening to Snoop and DMX. You did say even though you're an East Coast guy, you said you had to tip your hat to the West.
0: Snoop, man, that dude, bro. <laughs> that dude brought off <laughs> last night, man. Everybody that is watching this episode, if you saw this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, he took it all the way back to 1991, the first time I heard Snoop and Dre nothing but a G thing. When he played that last night, I was like, Ooh! oh, and the crazy thing is, even though I don't listen to that stuff every day, bro, I knew the words, and I haven't heard that song in years. I could, bro, one, two, three, to and just the, the, the four, doggy dog, and Dr. Dre, bro. It came to me just like that, and I haven't heard that song in years, man.
1: So with you, with you being in North Carolina, obviously, I mean, well, this would be sacrilegious if you yeah. weren't an MJ fan,
0: bro, bro. Look, M- look. Not only, not only did he go to my favorite college team of all time, but bro, he was there when I was five or four or five. When I was growing up, MJ was in was in was in college, man, bro. Mm. And look, I grew up, it ain't no better than him Ain't nothing better than MJ, man. So what do you say
1: to the arguments? I was just I was just on uh today. Oh boy. One of my boy, one of my buddies actually got a chance to he played in the NBA. His name is Eric Strickland. I just interviewed him today. Uh he yeah. he actually got to guard uh Jordan. And so he came in in 96. So he played against the 96 Bulls. And I I said the the age old question in the NBA and he just looked at me and shook his head. He's like there's not even a discussion.
0: It's nowhere cl- Look, hey, look. I've got a chance to actually see LeBron up close, courtside, the guy is, look, I cannot argue this, man. He is one of the best players, period, hands down. In my opinion, top five all time. But you're talking about MJ. If there's a, And you know this. If you're talking about one to ten, there's a big difference from one to, 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 to two. In between one and two, there's a huge difference. And I don't care if you're talking about Coca-Cola and Pepsi, Nike or Reebok. I don't care what you – however you cut it. The difference between from being number one and number two is a massive divide. Look, look, it, it's not even close, and it didn't matter. You Before you talk about MJ, you still got to go see Kobe first. You still got to go see Kobe. Rest in peace to Mamba. Look, and and LeBron is an exceptional player. Thank God that I was alive to even see this man from day one to today. This man is thirty five years old, has not missed a season, and is the ultimate Iron Man of all time. But when you're talking about MJ, that averaged forty in the finals against Hall of Famers. Come on, man, we're talking about MJ, six for six in the finals, six for six MVPs, probably could have had seven, but they gave his MVPs to other people just to break it up. We're talking about MJ that won rookie of the year. We're talking about MJ that scored thousand, 30 points a game for his entire career that had to go through the Pistons and the, and the Knicks. Ain't the Celtics? We're talking about the same MJ that put up that hung sixty three on a Hall of Fame Celtics team. A ten doc, a ten part documentary in twenty twenty. We're talking about that MJ. Ain't no, ain't no, ain't nothing even close, man. Nothing even close to MJ and anybody else. But it goes like this: my top five of all time is MJ, Kobe, Diesel, Bron, and uh. I Always struggle with the power for it because I'm a Chris Webber guy to the heart, man. Mm-hmm. But you gotta go probably with Tim Duncan, probably. Yeah. You gotta go with Tim Duncan. Those are my top five all-time hoops, man. I'm a hoops head. I grew yes. up playing hoops. That's probably been the only thing that I'm I look back without legs. That's the only thing that I'm pretty salty about. If it bro, if I had if I had legs today, the very first thing that I would do is I go play hoops. I go find a pickup game and i will be playing hoops right now. If you if you snap your fingers and say, give Cedric uh legs back for twenty four hours. Probably fifteen of them hours, you're gonna be seeing me play hoops, man.
1: Did you play above the rim, Cedric? You play above the rim?
0: Oh bro, I got bro, I was in a dunk contest in Seattle, man. Um I think I posted a picture of it man. People like, oh man, that ain't you. Bro I used to uh I used to have some hops, man. I used to have hops, man. Really? But I mean, I'm six foot one, so it ain't like it ain't like it's hard to dunk when you're you know somewhat tall.
1: It's still hard to dunk at six foot one. I'm five yeah. eleven. Well, I'm five uh, five ten and three quarters, but I'm 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 slapping the backboard. You know. What I'm oh,
0: bro. Even bro, it took me, man. I can remember, man. I, I was so I was so proud to have dunked. I think I may have started dunking in like the ninth or tenth grade, right? I started dunking like. But, bro, there are guys from where I'm from, they're talking about country people, man. We're talking about people that grew up in tobacco fields. Bro, man, there have kids that, that, that grew up with me that were dunking in like seventh grade. Just dudes that are just, just gifted for no reason. But that's just one of those things, man. You see people all throughout your life that are gifted in one area or another. It's just that either they never had the exposure to be able to take their talent to the next level, or maybe they just were just like, okay, look, I'm satisfied with being able to to be here, being the high school basketball legend. That's all I ever wanted in life. I'm good. Maybe that was it for them. And for me, man, I would have loved to be the high school, you know, talented kid. I made the team, but I wasn't the star of the team, which is probably why I try so hard in just about everything I do, because I know what it's like not to be the absolute You know, first option on the team. I have to fight for minutes to play, you know. It made the varsity the first time. The first time I made the varsity, I didn't get any minutes at all, man. I had to work for everything. So now I know what it's like not to be, you know, looked at like, you know, number one A plus. But when I came in the military and they were like, hey, you do these four things, you will be the starter. I was like, that's all I need, man. You give me that. I'll take it. And that's what caused me to want to go and be part of the one percent And In the military, the Rangers are one percent. They are the top one percent of our of our army. At least in the army. Maybe you know, they don't have a lot of Rangers in the Marines and the Navy. The Navy has SEALs. The Marines have Recon. The Army has Rangers, Green Berets, and Delta Force. But but all of them, primarily all of them, are Rangers. So. And what... that's the top one percent man.
1: Wow. So when you, well, I want to I go back to something that you, uh, that you uh, spoke about quickly. I want to unpack this. You talked about yeah. growing up with kids that were super talented growing up in tobacco fields. You grew up in a town of 1,000. Yeah. Then you go to the military. Let's talk about the cultural shock that you have going from 1,000 people to now when you go in, you have people from all over the country that are there.
0: Talk Bro, to that. That was that was one thing that I knew I, I had to take my hat off to my mother, man. I had to tip my hat off to my mom. I grew up in a predominantly black town, you know, very poor. Uh, the friends that I did have that were white, uh, if they played on my team. You know, they played on the hoops team. They played on the tennis team. Uh, I played hoops and tennis, and, and, they, and I ran track for a little while. But but that was pretty much the only dealings that I had with white kids because white kids were like the, the elite of the elite. They were really smart. You know, they were really going to college. They were really making the dean's list. So when I came in the military, it wasn't like I, I, I didn't it was either either you white. I had I grew up with Native Americans. I did grow up with a lot of Native Americans. So that was like my only culture was white, and Native American, black. So when I came in the military, it was Asian people, Hispanic people no Native American, lots and lots of white guys, Um, and only a few black guys, man. So when I came in, it was like my mother had taught me that you don't look at people uh, with the color of their skin or their name or anything. You judge a person by their character. And I've I've always grown up like that. I've always grown up like that. So when I came in the military, man, I looked at people that were sleeping uh on the bunk ahead uh, over over top of me, and it was like, Hey, man, you're my brother you know um if 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 we're if we believe in a different faith then love our love and respect for one another is going to be the bridge that's going to be the 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 common language there is no there is no you know because you're a different color then you get put over there, and we can't talk nope nope and and the military reinforced that military reinforced that look hey I don't care what you look like, I don't care where you're from, I don't care what listen what music you listen to. At, at the end of the day, y'all all one color and that's green. <laughs> Everybody's green, you know. <laughs> and 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 you're going to find out over time, and I did find out over time that man, I don't I don't care, man. I can't judge you off of what you look like. I got to judge you off of how you treat me and how you treat yourself, how you treat others. And if that's respectable, hey, man, you're a brother of mine. If you can't respect me, it probably means you're not respecting yourself. And if you're not respecting yourself, you can't respect others. And that means that we can't really have a lot of dealings until you fix that. But, bro, I I will tell you, man, um, that is the one thing that was the big cultural shock. But due to my mom raising me the way that she did, man, I really didn't have a lot of uh, problems when I first came in the military, man. It didn't matter if you listened to ACDC and I listened to Snoop or I listened to, you know, uh, uh you know, Slick Rick or 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 you know anybody from Teddy Riley, whatever. It it didn't matter, man, because we all were uh uh related through respect and love, you know?
1: Take us through that ranger training, because this is like you said, the top 1%, right? This is things that most people would quit, uh, in the first 30 seconds.
0: Um, bro, I would take that's so the The first day, the first day I show up, it's 400 guys that show up. And then back in the day, they used to call it ranger indoctrination program. The, the literal uh, the the acronym really, RIP, that's what they call it, RIP, right? <laughs> 400 guys show up, first day, hundreds of guys, and these are people that are at the top of the top of the top that show up. And the guy walks out there with this black beret on. At the time, they used to wear black berets. He walks out, and he says, this is going to be your amnesty period. I'm going to give you the next 10 minutes. I'm going to walk inside This office, I'm going to give you 10 minutes before I come back out. And if you really want to do this, you will be standing here. If you really don't want to do it, it's fine with me. Take your bags and 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 give yourself a gift of not having to worry about this punishment. He said, take your bags to the back and no one will know that you're gone. And we will make sure that you get to anywhere you want in the whole army. No penalties. No no anybody breathing down your back. Ten minutes later, he comes out there, and he's like, all right, guys, great job. You guys, uh, I'm going to make sure that you go anywhere you want to. The rest of you, I think at the time, may have been like 350 guys left, so 50 guys quit. The rest of the 350, bro, he takes us on like this, I don't know, six-mile run. We got on boots, this old school boots, right? Uh, and it's in January, but he takes us on this run. And man, Kels, when I'm telling you this guy is running fast, I'm talking about somewhere in between a seven and six minute pace per mile. And he's like, look, if you stay with me throughout the whole run, you don't have to get on the truck. Anybody that wants to quit during this six or seven mile run, you can get on the back of this truck anytime. any time, no penalties. Nobody breathing down your back. Probably about three miles into it. The truck is full. The truck is full, bro. Bro, over the next few weeks, the next three weeks, there's always chances for guys to say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. And they can leave without any penalty. But the people they do stick around are like beat to submission. And they do this to make sure that you really want to do this. Do you really, really want to do this? And if you do want to do it, I'll know you want to do it because you will gladly take this butt whooping that I'm about to give you. And man, over the next three weeks, they just beat us into either quitting or really, really saying, I want to do this. And bro, this is savage waking you up in it. Two in the morning, in the middle of your sleep, waking you up at two in the morning, putting 60 pounds on your back and throwing, cutting on flashlights and let's go off in the middle of the night. Unknown distance uh, runs. The thing about unknown distance runs is so evil because most people would give 100% as long as they knew how far they were going, Kels. But when it's unknown, you don't know how to deal with that most people don't know how to deal with an unknown distance because they will always be saying, when is this going to end? And that's what it's like in life. People all, even during quarantine, when is this going to end? But what it teaches the strong people to do is to pace, find a pace that you can move at for an indefinite amount of time. Very powerful lesson that the military taught me. Make sure you find a pace that you can move at for an indefinite amount of time. And if you can do that, you won't have to worry about running out of gas because you've trained yourself not to quit. Not to run to a particular stop point, but you've trained yourself to run no matter when you're going to stop. And that's the most powerful thing you can do, man. That's a very powerful feeling to know that I don't have to quit, not because you're going fast or not because you're going at some speed that I can't handle. But I've trained myself to keep moving no matter what. Very powerful, man. Very powerful. Bro, I remember one time they said, listen, we're going to uh, we're going to we're going to give you this map. And you're going to have to move from one point on the map to another point on the map by yourself in the middle of the Georgia countryside. The tough thing about that is when you are navigating and you're the only one that's there, you will always be asking yourself, am I moving in the right direction? If X marks the spot, am I here or not yet? Did I go too far? Is this the trail? I'm walking around in circles. It it makes a man quiet the 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 nonsense and the craziness that's going on in his own mind. It teaches them how to silence that that minutiae that's always saying you're not in the right place. You went too far. You passed the trail. That was it back there. Turn around and go back. Maybe I need to ask for directions. I don't know. I'm not supposed to be. It's dark out here. What was that noise? There's something that's changed. You're always having these things go through your mind. And the person that can't master that 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 conversation that's in his mind, he'll never be able to master the, the challenges that are outside of his mind, you know? How far? Bro, I, how, I can tell you stories for days, man, about that place, man.
1: Well, that's why we're here. That's why we're here, man. So how long into it did you, did you know that you weren't going to quit? Or did you, like on a day-to-day basis, was there a little bit of Cedric saying like, you know that little guy on your shoulder being like, "Yo, you can. You, you don't have to. You don't have to go through it." I was
0: never. I, I, I can honestly say this. I can honestly say this. They made me the class leader the first week or two, so it was a little bit easier for me because being the class leader, if I, I knew I I couldn't quit because I had other people to lead. But if I wasn't the class leader, it'd probably be harder because nobody would be counting on me. you. know, So sometimes leaders, they actually have it a little bit easier because they're always on the ball. Someone's always counting on them. It's a little bit harder if you're not the leader because nobody is, is really expecting you to lead them. You have to be a follower. And sometimes being a follower is the toughest assignment because now it's not about you. It's about the team. It's about it's it's about the team. It's not you make the final decision. It's someone else is making the final decision and you have to carry out the orders. And that's tough sometimes. Being a follower, I would say, is much harder than being a leader. That's the toughest assignment, because now no matter what the call is, you have to say, got it. Got the mission. Let's go and make it happen. I may not agree with it, but let's make it happen. And that's why I say to your question, I think I would, I never really considered quitting because I, I, I actually had the easiest job and that was being the leader. I was always saying, hey, this is what we got to do next. Hey, wake up. We got to be downstairs in five minutes in this uniform. If anybody messes it up, then we're going to get skull drug. What I mean by skull drug is you're going to do push-ups until somebody quits. You're going to do flutter kicks or you're going to run until we get 10 quitters. Bro, it's, it's, it's like, it's like these very most archaic male dominated society that probably seals rangers. It's all hazing all day, all every day. Hazing, 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 hazing. We're going to, to punish you until somebody submits. I need 10 quitters right now. I can take them the easy way or I can take them the hard way. Fine. Nobody wants to quit right face forward, March, double time, March. We're going to run at this pace until I get 10 quitters like it or not. I only need 10. And and that's where you start to say, man, I know you've been wanting to quit. Just quit. You start, you start tapping your buddy and say, Hey bro, look, Hey, you've been one quit. You can, you're the one that can save us. Just quit. You already told me last night you were thinking about quitting. You start the peer pressure starts. The peer pressure starts. It's like Survivor. You're like, hey, look, man, you can save us all. Just quit and get on the truck. In the middle of the night, you're always having somebody that can't get the uniform right, or someone that didn't shave or someone that got caught sleeping and is going to punish everybody. So now that one guy that continues to mess up is now starting to get ostracized from the group because he's making everybody pay. And and he won't quit. So now you begin to apply pressure and now the weak get get weeded out. It's bro, it's evil, but I wouldn't trade it for anything, man.
1: So how were you, how were you able to adapt this? Because, you know, when you see, uh, I was just reading the book relentless, which you've probably uh, read Tim Grover. Um, yeah, he yeah, talks about, yeah. uh, you know, MJ being a killer, being a cleaner, um, cleaner, know, closer, cleaner. Yeah, cleaner, closer and, uh, cooler. Um, yeah, yeah. So you, you hear of these things, you hear of that, that killer instinct, you hear of these things, which is amazing. Like when you're in business, when you're going after some, and I think that, yeah you have a spirit to be able to, you know, like, I watched you from the very beginning of your speaking career. Yeah, I was there at the very beginning of your speaking career before you actually went to uh, uh, Maxwell. um, You know, because you got affiliated with Maxwell, I was there before. So I saw, but I saw that killer in you, right. And I got to watch it. How are you able to control that when it comes to relationship? Because when it comes to a marriage, that kind of killer instinct a lot of times will kill a relationship.
0: I have a very, bro, my wife is top notch, man. Uh, She was raised in a military family. So she somewhat understands, but she sometimes doesn't understand. And being married to me is not easy because I am always pushing the limits. Uh, I told my wife the other day, hey look, uh Saturday I'm going out and, and, and do a hundred miler. And she's like, Why would you do this? What are you what are you trying to prove? And and I have to explain to her that this is just who I am. Um I do I can't really explain it, but this is just who I am and this is what I do. I'm always trying to push the limit. So for her, she has to just say, All right, that's Cedric. You know what? I'm not gonna try to understand it. That's just who he is. And I got to love him for who he is. But that killer instinct is something that I could, I got two daughters and a wife. I can't do that same ranger, spread out the weak, uh, keep the strong. I can't do that with him. And I think that that's God's way of saying, you need to understand how the female brain works a little bit more. So not only am I going to give you a wife, but I'm going to give you two daughters, help you understand that this is how the feminine side works. Uh, and, and you know what, to be honest with they taught me a lot, you know, um, that ranger mode has a place, but also just as much as that place is valuable. Also the lessons that they've taught me of being more sensitive and, and being able to temper the, the, the attack mode, Cedric, they've taught me, Hey, there is value in slowing down. There's value uh, at not, you know, trying to compete against us, even though we're your wives, your wife and your daughters, you don't have to always beat us in everything. Um, you know, everything isn't a competition Dad. you know, that's what they always say, but they've taught me that there's value in that. Um, they taught me the, probably the most valuable lesson. And I learned that through you too, through understanding that love is something that has nothing to do with what I look like. Uh, I saw that, that time where you, bro you uh, if anybody's watching this you gotta understand I spoke one year at caper and kells came right on after me and him and his daughter were dancing and had everybody in the crowd in tears including me bro I wrote probably four minutes into your speech I was like no I'm a competitor. And I'm like, no, this dude did not just bring his daughter out there and slow dance with his daughter in front of the whole crowd. Bro, when I. <laughs> bro, I have never, I have never been so competitive other than that point right there, man. I was like, this dude is a killer. You're talking about a closer, a cleaner, a cooler? Bro, that day right there, bro, you were cleaner on that one, man closer bro you you killed it and i was like golly he just used every part of his entire life to transfer what love really looks like how it sounds bro but it wasn't a dry eye in the house and i was like that dude is a killer golly (laughs) i'll never forget that day bro i'll never forget that
1: thank you,
0: <laughs> you everybody in there in tears and I mean everybody people's mascara was like people walked out of there looking like Death Leopard or something man it was crazy <laughs> out there man I was like God <laughs>
1: well hey you were I tell you though I was behind stage before like when you went so I was back there we had talked and then you went yeah. out you went out and I saw your intro video and I was like, damn, because your intro video was like you doing an Iron Man. You've got no legs, yeah. dude. And you were riding a bike and you were running and you were doing all these things. Well, little yeah. did you know that I had, <laughs> I, I had filmed my bio or my, my intro video and I was riding a bike, but I looked like a caterpillar in my uh, kit because, you know, I had some rolls, some lumpy and. Dude, you smashed me, man. I was like, how am I gonna come out after Iron Man, like real Tony Stark, is out bro, here.
0: Bro, you crushed it. I was bro, I was like, God, if I ever get back to that caper stage, that is the moment that's burned into my brain. I'm like, look, I will I will definitely bro. I stayed up all night rehearsing this thing. And bro, I gave it all I had. I, bro, I probably tried too hard. No, you did phenomenal. I saw you come after me. I was like, "Good God Almighty!" I, I, bro, I wanted to go and hide somewhere. <laughs> God, leave. <laughs> this is <Donald laughs> Savage, man. Oh,
1: well, I appreciate it, man. Hey, bro, tell tell us tell us something about like, you know, when you were saying you have stories for days. Tell us something about that Ranger experience that that would, I mean. Because a lot of times we don't go to get to go inside. Like let's hear a specific story of whether you being woken up at a certain time, you having to swim through whatever. I love to hear these stories because it helps me to understand that this stuff is possible, humanly possible. And if it is humanly possible, then somebody you know, somebody else can do it too. So what is the
0: toughest day for me of all my Ranger experiences was probably having to deal with failure uh, probably, that's probably the hardest part, man. Um, failure, learning to deal with failure. When I first got to Ranger school, the school. So there's, there's two things. It's like, it's like going to Paul Mitchell to, 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 to go there and get your hair done is the experience going to work as a part of the school is you being part of the organization.
1: Okay.
0: So, I did both of them. I was in the organization and I actually went to the school. So it's just, you know, I did both of them. But when you go to the school, it is a graded place. And it's not always just how fit you are and how straight you can shoot or anything like that. It is basically, can you lead people? Now, Kels, understand this. At the school, you're being sleep deprived and food deprived, right? Um, You're having to go for 22 hours, 21, 22 hours a day on two meals. Those two meals are very early in the morning and very late at night. So imagine waking up at 400 at 4 o'clock in the morning, eating a meal, which is about, you know, a a small, you know, meal, a camping style meal. It comes in a bag. It's called an MRE, Meals Ready to Eat. So imagine eating one of those at four o'clock in the morning, and then eating another one at uh, eleven o'clock. No, twelve o'clock at night. So you go all day. You go all day, and you eat one at midnight, all right? And then you eat another one at four. You go all day long, and then eat another one at midnight, and you do that every single day. Ranger school is sixty-two days most people most people lose about 30 to 30 to 40 30, 30, 35 pounds something like that i think i lost maybe at 30 30, 30 pounds maybe twenty twenty five thirty 25 30 pounds um but everybody looks like a hostage or looks like a pow or something like when they come out um the hardest thing about it is nobody nobody has rank over another one so you are a ceo you are a business owner That means that what you say goes. Well, in regular school, everybody's the same rank. There's nobody that is in charge of of anybody. Only time where you're in charge of somebody is doing graded positions. graded position says one day you're going to be the leader, you're going to be the two uh, uh, sub-leaders. I need you to get this mission done. And you have this amount of hours to do it. You're going to have to lead people that are hungry, tired, sleepy. And you have no real rank to tell people what you do. I need you to lead them for the next 20 hours and tell them what needs to be done. Mm. You know what has to be done. Now lead them. Nobody's getting paid for this. You're having to do it because that person says you have to do it. Now, sooner or later, if nobody has any rank, what someone has to do is someone has to become the natural leader. And this is where the rubber meets the road. If you and I are are, are the same rank and you got to tell me what to do and I'm tired and I'm sleepy, but you know what has to be done and you still got to make me do it. And I could say, screw you. I ain't doing it. And I can't get penalized for it. Bro, you have to be a natural leader. That means you have to make me get in this cold water. You have to make me carry this 65 pound load for 20 hours. And at no time, and at no time can you make me do it. I have to want to do it. You have to make me want to follow your lead. That's real leadership. What if the people in your organization were getting paid the same thing you were getting paid, you were not the boss of them, but the natural leader and you must emerge and they could tell you to screw you. I ain't doing it. And there's nothing you could do about it. What would you do then? Could you really be a leader if there were no repercussions on them saying, screw you, I ain't doing it. Could you leave then? Or would you quit? Or one night, man. It's uh, February in the mountains of Georgia. It's probably 22 degrees. And the water in our canteen has frozen. The water in our canteen has frozen. It's so cold outside that we can't even drink water anymore because the, we have to sleep on our canteens to thaw them out. When we sleep those four hours, those three to four hours that you might get some sleep, you have to sleep on top of your canteen and let your body heat cool off the the the, warm up the water that's in your candy because it's frozen bro i remember having to lead these guys it's 22 degrees outside everybody's thirsty everybody's water's frozen um men are going to sleep and the, the the ranger instructors tell me hey listen i don't know what time but sometime before before the sun comes up it's probably 1 30 at night before the sun comes up at zero 05, you know, in the winter time, sun comes up a little bit earlier. It says before zero 0500 hours, you will be attacked. You will be attacked. And I need you to be able to fight off this attack. Keep in mind, these men haven't slept all day. They've been walking up and down mountains all night. And I have to make sure that these men are awake and alert, prepared for an attack that comes from now, in the next four and a half hours, somebody we're going to be attacked by somebody. And sure enough, man, probably about two hours. I, I am, like, doing this, trying to stay awake. Freezing cold. No, uh, nothing but a sweater on to keep me warm. I'm having to actually walk around the perimeter and make sure guys are staying up. I'm taking, like, my weapon and hitting dudes on the helmet to keep them awake, making men stand up men are falling asleep on their feet the reason why i know they're falling asleep i've been through my night vision and i'm seeing guys that stand up and because they get so drowsy only reason i can know that they're falling asleep because i hear them hit the ground i'm going over to wake up wake up Well, sure enough man right before sun up we get attacked machine gun opens up da, 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 da. now obviously these are simulated battle you know these are simulated battle rhythms but we get attacked at around 4 35 o'clock right before the sun comes up in the mountains it's freezing cold february just finished snowing the day before and bro i could tell you man there's nothing that i could do man that's when i was at my absolute lowest in being a leader trying to lead men that are freezing cold hungry tired falling asleep on their feet, and now I'm having to fight off an attack with tired and sleepy men. That was probably the one, that was the one grade that I failed. And, bro, it, it, I, it's nothing I could do, man. That's one of the things that they throw at you, an assignment that's almost impossible for you to pass and see how you can deal with failure. Can you come back and still lead men after you know, and they know, that you blew it? After they know that you got these men killed, can you come back and can you still say, hey, guys, I blew it, but, hey, look, hey, next mission, next play, miss the game, win a shot. Hey, give me the ball. I want to shoot again. Can you come back with the same confidence that you had the night before? Can you still dig in people's backsides, even though you're the one that just failed, man? Can you do that? And when you fail in range school, it's not just a regular failure. They're actually assessing casualties. So they're like, you, dead, you, dead, you, dead. Get them to this extraction point in 20 minutes. There's going to be a simulated helicopter there to to take these men out of there. Now, think about it. It's 40 of us, Kelly. Kelly, it's 40 of us. 40 of us. Four men are assessed dead or almost dead. We have to pick up all their gear and take it to an extraction point uh, two miles away. But two miles in the mountains and in the woods Mm. with no trails is hard. It's hard. You got 20 minutes to get them there. Not just the bodies, but the bodies and all of their equipment. And all of your equipment. Bro, it'd be like you picking up everything in your house and moving into Atlanta. Tomorrow, because that's where the job is, it, bro. It be it be hard. It's hard to do, man. It don't matter how many men you have, bro. That was probably my low point, man. It was uh, it was freezing cold. Uh, everybody's gear was wet. Everybody was shivering cold. Nobody had dry clothes. And having to lead these men and be attacked and know that I got four men, you know, simulated kills. Oh. I would say this, I would say this. Ranger school is probably harder than combat. The only difference between real combat and ranger school is real combat, they play for keeps. But ranger school, I can tell you this. Ain't a lot of men that would rather go to uh ranger school all over again. A lot of men, you see guys can't wait. Guys, even vets now, man, they would they we wanna go back to combat. We want to go back and serve our country, especially where, where, you know, in war, you'll see a lot of guys want to go back to range school or, or you go to the Navy SEALs and say, you, you want to go back through hell week again? No. Send me to combat. Nobody wants to go through that again, bro. So- I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go through it, bro.
1: Wow. I never thought, I mean, that perspective is, is, is huge. I never even thought that way. Um, So when you go through something like this, that, that, that hardens you, you know, and I'm not saying in a, in a negative way, but it hardens you and it gets you to a point of like, okay, yes. when you come back at a ranger school and someone who's not a ranger is like, Oh man, my feet are hurting. I just ran a half a mile.
0: <laughs> okay. So- That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. What ranger school, what life, what hard times, what challenges, what they do for you is it gives you this valuable nugget. It's called perspective. And now as low as you think that you've been, range of school, life, cancer, amputations, heartbreaks, bankruptcy, it allows you to know that at least things aren't that bad. i made it through that and I can make it through this. But if you've never gone through anything, you're pissed off when you've gone a half mile and you got a blister on your toe because it's the worst that it's ever been. These challenges in life take you so low that you can now smile when you get the blister on your toe. You can now smile when you're out of dough and it's only the second of the month. You can now smile when your proposal got laughed at. bro, it's gonna be very hard to discourage me now, man. You should have be you. Look, look. Challenges in life should have beat me back then. It's too late now, man. It's too late. It's too late. You gotta, you gotta kill me. You had to kill me now. Or you gotta try. And, even, even coming out of losing both my legs, bro. Now, bro. I don't know. <laughs> I only can look at things now with the with that with that quote that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger i've actually lived that man what did not kill me made me so much stronger bro it's hard it's hard to look at it's hard for me to look at people that you know like going through quarantine and complain like it's gonna kill me i'm like bro (laughs) i'm in my sweet spot right now man (laughs) I'm in my sweet spot. I love quarantine, man. Give me more. Give me more. I hate what's happened. I don't like the fact that, you know, I got to get a COVID test with a with a needle that's long as a screwdriver. But oh, well, <laughs> I ain't starving. I ain't in arranging school. Look, I ain't back in Afghanistan. I ain't getting shot at every day. Wow.
1: This is the type of perspective that I think that people need more and more. I remember when quarantine first started, we were seven days in. I did some distance learning for a school and the girl was like, oh, I'm, I'm having a tough time. I said, honestly, if seven days will break you, you're going to have a long career and you're going to have a long life.
0: If seven days will break you, you need to find something else to go do because this ain't for you. Yes. yes. If, if quarantine is breaking you, it's understandable. But if it broke you, you need to tough. you gotta lace up, man. You gotta lace up, you gotta get in the gym. You gotta get back in the lab, baby. Cause look, this, is, this is the moment where a lot of people that are in quarantine are struggling and rightfully so because maybe things have, have happened. For me, for speakers, for speakers all over the country, it's a little bit tougher. Cause now you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta change the way you do things. But let me tell you this, man, I'm a way better speaker for now. Bro, it's easier now, man. Look, do you understand? I can put all my notes that I would normally have to memorize and spit in front of a stage. Now you're telling me that I could do it from the comfort of my own home. I don't have to sit in an airplane and travel for six hours to get there and come back. Bro, do you understand that I'm about to kill the game now? I can put all my notes if I want to behind the screen and you'll never know whether I'm memorizing or not. This is, this is I'm built for this. You understand? I can get a workout in every single day if I wanted to. Before I jump on the on on a Zoom chat or before I do a keynote and get paid to do it, man. What a country, man. What a country. <laughs> what a country.
1: Oh,
0: well, bro, I, I, the pivot is real. The pivot is real. Yes. But bro, if you prepare for it, it's a gift.
1: Well, and those of you listening, those of you listening, you know why I wanted this guy on the on the podcast, like to hear him. Girl, what you I got? got a, I just got a microphone.
0: I'm about to hook this up. I'm about to get busy with a with a whole new podcast, man. I got equipment. I'm ready to set up. I'm about to go, bro. I'm about to really take it to the next level, man. And people that are prepared, that were prepared all along, it's not. It's not a. It's not a catastrophe. It's not if you were prepared all along. They say they say this <laughs> you can tell who's swimming naked when the tide go out. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell who is swimming naked when the tide go out, bruh. And I just say, man, look, I wanna let you know, man. Look, I had clothes on all along, baby. And and, and everybody that I've been running with lately is too, man. You all the leaders that have that have come along my pathway. Uh since this has happened, man, bro, it's they saying the same thing, you know? Selling more books. You know? Getting more views. Bro, it's the right time, man.
1: Well, hey it's man. prime time. It, it, it's incredible. I think the thing that brought us together was something that I and I didn't even know it was as dear to your heart. But I remember you know, one of the times that you said you said uh, that you saw some shoes that I was wearing that were uh, Jordan Forrest. my parents. I don't know if you know this story, but I think I might have told you about my parents. My dad was making eleven hundred dollars a month before taxes. We lived in Longpole, California. We drove 40 miles each way to high school. Right. We had one car. Me and my brother, we were ungrateful jerks and we said we want these Jordans and they were one twenty five. Now, one twenty five times two, two fifty, and my dad made eleven hundred dollars a month. My parents saved the money and bought in one month both of us a pair of Jordan fours. And that's why Jordan Fours means so much to me. Now number number well the, the, the first thing is that the hottest shoe that ever was was there. The Bro. hottest. Bro. Speak about your shoe game,
0: bro. My experience is a lot like yours. My dad, I didn't grow up with my dad like living in the house, he lived across the county. But I remember he's like, Yo, hey, just you know what you, I don't even know what you want for Chris. What do you want? And I was like, Uh, I don't know. Let's go, let's go look, let's go to the shoe store, bro. The Air Jordan 5s had just come out. And not just any of them, but the one with the 23 yes. that was on the side, red, black, white, black tongue, AJ5. Bro, when you're coming from a place that's as poor as where I came from, when you throw on a pair of J's, it's almost like you become pop. Bro, the girls think you look more handsome. You can dance better your popularity goes up the teachers think you're smarter bro everything changes your grades get better everything changes and man bro when i tossed on those fives bro yeah, i was it man i was i was a jordan fan because of the force but i couldn't get the fours because we had that kind of money and i got to the this is back then man where I was just lucky enough to catch my dad right around Christmas time and he had the money and he gave it to me. He was like, what you want? I was like, those. Bro. He was like, that's what you want. Merry Christmas, bro. (laughs) And those are the ones where, bro, if you like me, man, you grew up without a lot. You got to take care of your kicks, man. You pull out a toothbrush, you pull out some, 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 some cleaner and you get them laces and you get them heels and you take that toothbrush, and you got to keep them things clean, son. It's like you really gotta, you really gotta take care of what you got, because you know you're not getting another pair. Another pair isn't guaranteed. Mom and dad are not continue to to put off this gas bill or this light bill to get you some kicks. So you gotta take care of them things. And and with Air Jordans, there's gonna be another pair come out next year. So if you ain't getting another pair, it's like look. This is all you got to hold on to, man, bro. And God forbid if anybody steps on oh. them. Bro, you got to defend your honor. It's almost like somebody stealing your girl. Bro, it might be a fight. <laughs> it might be a fight, man. <laughs> got to keep them, the crease, the little crease in them. They're that, that right there at the toe. Bro, look, hey, you got to keep the crease from getting out of them at night. You got to make sure that they're just right, putting together. You don't just take off air Jordans and just have one shoe in the kitchen and one shoe in the living room. Man, them jokers are together. Right there. Post it up. Nobody mess with them. Bro, I bro, even I, I I wore those things till they literally fell off my feet, man. And even then, I kept the shoebox. <laughs> I kept the shoe box. I kept the laces, the little toggles, the little things that you squeeze to keep the shoe. I kept everything, man. I turned the shoebox into something in, in like a piece of, uh, uh my, in my room, man. Like a piece of furniture almost, man. I kept basketball carts in there, man. That was just a part of a special place to my life, man. My shoe game now is not, it's nowhere close, man. This is my shoe game now, Kales. Let so, me show you. It's what I'm rocking now. This is what my shoe game looks like now. Shoes don't mean as much. This is what my shoe game looks like now, man. I got a pair of running blades. <laughs> They're, Nike. <laughs> They're Nike. They got Nike tread on them. Okay. But but this is what my shoe game looks like now, man. These are my running blades. But I still keep a pair of kicks, man. I still keep a pair of kicks. I might have one pair of J's. I got a black pair of Elevens. Um, but most of the time I've given like all my J's that I used to have away, man. You know, young kids. Uh, that, you know, trying to, you know, be cool or whatnot, you know, I'll make sure that I, you know, find young kids. Say, hey man, hey take these, what size you wear. I hey, take these and it means the world to them, man, because bro, a pair of J's when you're young, man, it, if it meant anything to them, like it meant to me, man, it's very important. Very important. man.
1: So now after all you've gone through, and I, I love this because you constantly are giving back. You're constantly giving back and you're constantly making sure that everybody else is either being inspired, like all of us are here in spending time with you, um, or you're doing it through different organizations, different charities, things like that. What are some of the things that you're involved with right now?
0: So, man, I work with Yellow Ribbon Fund, uh, which is uh, it's, a, it's a nonprofit based in Bethesda, Maryland. that give back to vets that have just gotten the worst news of their life. And their families need a place to stay to be with their loved one. Um, You know, I think a lot of people in America think, all right, the vet got hurt and the family is going to be okay. Well, it's not like that. For you to to come, if you're in California, uh, you actually, where are you at in California? Are you in San Diego? San
1: Diego. Yeah, North County, San Diego. So
0: so for most people that, let's just say, um, if I were to get injured and I was living in, in Atlanta, And let's just say I'm living in Atlanta and I'm serving my country and the military says we're going to send Cedric to Balboa in San Diego. Well, my wife would have to fly cross country. And when she gets to San Diego, she's going to need somewhere to stay that's not in the hospital. Like take COVID off the table. If you took COVID off the table, she would need uh, uh, somewhere to stay at so that she can constantly come and see me but not sleep all night in on a couch or in a chair that's in the hospital room with me. So that has to get paid, you know, somewhere. Somebody's got to pay that. And that's where the yellow ribbon fund comes in. I also work with uh, a, a team Simplify. Um This was based out of a young lady who uh, Karen Hedrington, she uh, had a son that was serving in Iraq or Afghanistan. I'm not sure which one, but, uh, but, but her, her son died. And she really didn't have a lot of the, the the logistics put together. And she was suffering for a long time, not knowing who to talk to and not knowing where to get things squared away for his burial and all this stuff. And she was like, I'm going to make sure that no one else feels like this again. No one feels this lost again. And she set it up to where when families get injured or when, when service members get injured, the vet is taken care of from step one all the way to, to whenever. Team Semper Five has taken care of my family and I with what we need, with things that we need, with our house, even during COVID, uh, providing us uh, a gift certificate. So maybe we want to get the kids back to school stuff. And they've donated money, all types of stuff. They've gotten me sports equipment for, so I can continue to stay athletic. Uh, they continue to just do this for me, but thousands of other vets um, pay for my, for my, for my uh, trips to athletic events, you know, a thousand, thousand thousands, thousands, thousands of dollars, man. And they do that for all of us. Uh, they've been doing that since 2002. Her, her son got injured in 2002. So the Yellow, Yellow River Fund, Team Simplify, 5, uh, Team America's Fund, and the Gary Sinise Foundation. Those are the three main uh, uh nonprofits that I work with uh, currently to this day, and I'm an ambassador for all of them. I want to make sure that I get the word out to people as, as as much as I can that this is exactly what right looks like. Uh The house that I'm living in currently right now was donated by uh, a great man named Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise, for most of you all, you know, is Lieutenant Dan from the movie Forrest Gump. And Gary, uh, for, he he just said, well, look, you know what? Vets are going to need somewhere to stay at. And these guys are, are are going back to communities. They may not be in the best interest of, of them. You know, maybe they don't have the best schools. So why would we send a vet that's struggling with medical care, with PTSD? Why would we put him in an environment where he still has to struggle? Tell you what, let's get him a new house. And let's also make sure that he gets put into a community that is going to help his family and going to help the community out. And that's what he did, man. I live in Duluth, Georgia, which is, which is a suburb of Atlanta, but uh, I live in a great place, man. It's uh, one of the top two neighborhoods in the Atlanta area um, with schools, employment, uh, uh, just everything is all set up here. Uh, the, the, the community is an incredible community. I'm maybe about 20 minutes from Alpharetta, 20 minutes from downtown. Um, These up and coming communities are very progressive, um, very wealthy communities. So I get to meet a lot of people that are already going in great directions for themselves and the companies here in Atlanta. Um, Delta Airlines, which is a a major Fortune 500 company. Home Depot is obviously one of the sponsors for our home. Um, They took us in here in Atlanta and was able to give me incredible speaking opportunities. Just it, It's just great, man, it's just great. And they do this, Gary, I think is on his 68th home right now in spite of the quarantine. So it's amazing, amazing things have happened in this short amount of time. man. Um, and, and and I've gotten a chance to work with Paul Mitchell. Uh, this is something that is beyond my wildest dream. I've gotten a chance to meet uh, John Paul DeJoria. Uh, gotten a chance to 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 be good friends with one of the greatest guys that I know, Wynn Claybaugh. Win's a great friend of mine. We talk multiple times a week. Uh, just great people. Uh, and when you make when you meet great when you meet great people, it's a little bit easier to 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 live a great life, man. Uh, you be around great people, you're going to think great thoughts. You're going to say great things, and that is. Uh, That is my testimony, you
1: know? That's amazing, man. So when you talk about Jordans, I mean, Jordans were kind of almost far away, right? So when we were talking about that, that was that, like, hey, that's a trip to Mars. You get them Jordan 5s. You you, you finally end up getting them. Yeah. Tell us what Cedric King's Jordan 5s are right now like your Star Wars right now? What are you looking at right now that you want to be able to accomplish or that you want to be able to do that is like that Star Wars for you?
0: Yep, yep. Uh, I would love to be able to make this next book the very best that I can make it. During quarantine, uh, I always said, and I've been telling students throughout the Paul Mitchell schools and and all the Fortune 500 companies that I've talked to since COVID started, uh, this was the, Thing that helped me write a whole new book. COVID was able to make me a better me, and I would love to be able to uh, have this book resonate with people all over the country. Um, I'm not quite sure what I want to call it, um, but uh, I, I want it to be a a book that it in it it has had things that I missed out in the first book uh, using. Uh, there was perspectives, stories, certain things that I did not put in the first book. Uh, so that Jordan, so to speak, would be me um, uh, uh, publishing this the second book, and me being able to have this movie come out uh, about my life. Uh, mm. We just did a cover uh, what's called cover fly. It's a table reading of the book. And it has everything from the moment that the bomb goes off to me running the Boston Marathon. Those 21 months in, in there from me losing my legs to me uh, uh, running the marathon. It has everything in there with me uh, almost getting hooked on opioids, uh, me making a clear decision that this is not going to be how things are going to go. Uh, for a moment there, uh, I was having a, a prescription that was given to me uh and and by no fault of the of the doctors this is i had pain you know and for the docs they're like hey look just take this and you won't have to live all day in agony okay fine well it it stops the pain but it starts something else that's a little bit more sadistic something a little bit more evil um i almost got hooked on opioids man um i almost did man and by the grace of God, I didn't. But bro, it, it was like right there where taking these opioids takes me to a place for a little while in the day that I'm not like in agony, mm-hmm. and I had to get to a place where I wasn't gonna continue to be afraid of the agony. That's the only way out, man. In my in my in my in my humble opinion. The only way out for me was to go to the agony and stick around long enough so that the agony doesn't bully me. It doesn't make me take the opioids. Be in the place where the pain is painful, but it doesn't have to dictate what you do. And the guys, all the guys that had gone through it were like, yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to suck. The pain of you losing your legs, your body still healing, yes, it's going to be agony. But once you run out of that prescription, do not refill it. Do not refill the prescription. Go further, 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 further. Go past pain, go past pain. Keep going that way. And sooner or later, your body will capitulate to you not giving in and taking the medicine. Because as soon as it gets that opioid, you're going to be like, ah, there we go. The problem is the next morning, the pain is going to come back. And with what I didn't understand with drugs is the first hit is going to be the best hit. All Mm -hmm. hits after that are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And you're going to want to double up. And triple up, quadruple up, where before you would just take one hit, and it would be enough by four months, you're going to be like the same hit didn't do anything for you now you have to take more and more and more to get the same feeling and man, I didn't understand that going in it wasn't until months in, I was like, now I'm having to take six opioids, I'm having to take six milli sixty milligrams. Of, of of oxycontin just for me to get the same hit that i was getting before on five or ten and bro when you're taking six of those the docs are like yeah i know it feels better but but that's going to start giving you bad liver damage you can't continue to take that um and and honestly and honestly the other thing was i couldn't continue to take opioids because bro I used to get super constipated, man. I would just be like, bro, I would be dropping blocks. Like (laughs) this knife right here. It'd be like, bro, it'd be like bricks. (laughs) I'd be like, I can't take this anymore. I know, but you know, like that was by the grace of God, man. I knew, I knew, and I know guys that have not come out of that. And it's just, It's just six, seven, eight years of taking opioids. And sooner or later, man, uh, it's going to be very hard for you to give your 100% of anything when opioids are taking 60% of you away to dreamland. You know, it's going to be hard for you to be able to give your best speech when you're high for, you know, eight hours of the day. And and it just wasn't me, man. That's not what the military taught me to be. The military taught me to say, hey, look, it sucks. But you cannot be mastered by this. You're going to have to go through the pain. And when you get to the end of that road, then your body will be like, all right, I quit. I'm not going to give you a hard time. I'm going to work with you. And the pain will subside. But, bro. That took a long time, a lot of hard nights, man. A lot of phantom pains, mm. broke tears. But once you but once you get through the gate of hell, then you it, it subsides. That's something that you can live with. But you have to tell your body, you have to be the master. You cannot allow your body to demand opioids because it's painful. Mm. Your mind has to be the boss and your mind has to say I don't care how loud you scream I don't care how tough the pains are you must overcome and you can't be a a royal pain in the butt to the people that love you you have to still be a, a decent human being even though you're going through this pain wow and you can do it
1: wow See, this, this is what I'm talking about. Like the people that are listening, when I first heard got to be around you and I didn't, uh, it, was a, it was a short amount of time, but it literally took every excuse that I had ever had and it threw it out the window. When I'm thinking like, wow, I'm a little bit sore, I don't want to wake up this morning and go and do this, I think about you, Cedric, and it brings me to a thought, my, my buddy Eric Strickland, uh, that, that I was just talking, like I said, I just interviewed yeah, him. NBA
0: guy. Yeah, I gotta look at, I'm gonna look him up, man. You gotta look, him, look
1: up. him up because what he told me today is he said his dad used to take him at 11 years old and he used to take him to the, we uh, were on Vandenberg air force base. He would take him to the base gym and he would have him at 11 years old play against GIs, which were a minimum age of 18 to in their twenties mm-hmm. and thirties and grown men. and he had to play against grown men. So when he came back to play against kids and they had a problem or they stepped up against him, he was like, I already fought grown men. And this is what you're talking about. Like in life, you've already, I mean, you've fought grown men, you fought everything that life has to offer.
0: And yeah. I mean, what you're in a sense, yeah, saying that's is bring- the dangerous part too, though, that's the dangerous part too. That's a very dangerous place to be when you know that you've conquered all the enemies on the outside. Then the greatest then the greatest enemy steps up, and that's the, that's the enemy on the inside. The enemy on the inside is the true level 10. That is the Bowser of Bowser. Super Mario. Shout out to Super yes, Mario. Yes. you're talking about this is the top level when you are able to conquer the enemy on the inside, most of the time what we do is we spend 90% of our life conquering all the enemies to our left, our right, to our front and our rear. Never truly conquering the enemy on the inside. If we start here, if we start, like I said before, you being a leader of yourself, you conquering the enemy on the inside, if you can conquer the enemy on the inside, inside, there will be no enemy that's on the outside that can harm you. It can't. Nietzsche says this. Nietzsche says this. It's a quote. If you can conquer the enemy on the outside, excuse me, if you can conquer the enemy on the inside, the enemy on the outside can do you no harm. And I live this every day. I wish, I wish I would have started by conquering the person on the inside, knowingly. I ended up doing it unknowingly. I ended up doing this ranger training and stuff, thinking I'm conquering the the ranger instructors and thinking I'm conquering the competition. But truly, I was conquering the person on the inside. But when you get to a place, when you go to the very top, there is no more conquering people to your left and your right. They're your teammates. The person that you now have to conquer when you get to the top of the mountain, it's not the mountain, it's the mountain on the inside. Mm-hmm. You get to the top of, 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 of Mount whatever, the only mountain that's left then is the mountain in here. And that's the mountain that you will spend a lifetime climbing, conquering, mm-hmm. falling, climbing, painful, losing, winning, falling, getting back up. That was one of the toughest things with learning to walk, it was It was falling, falling down. I wasn't fighting trying to make this work. I was falling trying to conquer it in here. When you're falling down, it's not the prosthetics that are, are the thing that you're trying to overcome. It's the person in here that has to overcome the fact that you just fell on your face 10 times in the last 10 minutes that makes you feel like there's no way I'll ever be able to master this. What am I doing wrong? It must be the equipment. No, it's not the equipment. It's you. And you have to conquer the fact that, yes, you may be falling down for the rest of your life. I just fell fell down the other day. I just fell down the other day. It's eight years in. Mm. But what happened eight years ago versus what happens now is I know, I now know that the only thing that really matters is getting back up again. Back then, then, I thought that when I get back up, I have to master the equipment. I have to master the prosthetics. I have to master the the components. I have to balance right. I have to get stronger with my core. Those, Those are things that you have to do. But the most important thing is you have to master getting back up again. When you master getting back up again, I I wish, I wish I could go back and I could tell that guy, look, do not worry about the equipment. Don't worry about your balance. Focus on getting back up again. If you can master getting back up again, you're going to walk just fine. If you can master getting back up again, you're going to be a great parent. If you can master getting back up again, you'll be a great wife. You'll be a great husband. You'll be a great whatever. Do not. Be so focused on the particulars. Focus on getting back up again. I don't care if you got hooked on cocaine, weed, alcohol, whatever. Get back up again and again and again and again and again. Come back to center again and again. You will, you will win. You will win. And it's to the degree that you continue to get back up that is how you measure your mastery not how long you stay up but how many times can you get back up how many times can you get back up you don't call you don't call a fighter that doesn't get knocked out ever yeah you may call him the champ but bro it's the guy that got knocked down again and gets back up again and gets back up again and gets back up Bro, remember the first time Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson? Oh, yeah. Bro, he got knocked down first. Mike Tyson was knocking people out in 90 seconds. Bro, before he lost, he was like 48 and oh, It was almost guaranteed that whoever he fought, he was going to annihilate. He was putting people in comas, man, in seconds. Buster Douglas was just about to be the same way and had gotten knocked down by Mike. But gets back to his feet and then knocks Mike down. Bro, those are the people that you have to tip your hat to, man. Not the people that are flawless. I, it, like Mike, Michael Jordan, it's flawless. But he's so good that, that we really don't have a perspective for anybody. It's hard to relate to somebody that's perfect. But you're talking about the person like that has lost and come back and failed, got cut from the team, come back, and, and, been, and been bad, 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 bad. The truth is, man, I posted this earliest day. It's this, man. It's, it's, it's not how long you can be perfect, but how long can you stand to be bad? How long can you stand to be bad before you become good? That's really, you really want to talk about the people that are really, really awesome at life? These are the people that can stand to be bad long enough to be good. How long can you stand being bad before someone calls you really good at what you do? Bro, I think just being in the range, man, I was just, I was just, man, I was okay with being bad. I was, be, I was okay with not shooting expert. <laughs> For a long time, for a long time, I was okay with not shooting expert. I was okay with 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 failing long enough to become good at something.
1: Well, I, I mean, dude, any person that gets to see you live, I mean. Any person that gets to see you live, gets to see you on Instagram, gets to see you on Facebook, gets to see you every, um, obviously you establish on Facebook, no one gets to see you because you're elite and you have too many friends on Facebook. That's what you told <laughs> oh. me earlier.
0: I hey, what I'll I'll cut, I'll cut some people out. Okay. I haven't talked to them in a while.
1: <laughs> Do that for me. The whole reason why, the whole reason why I made the podcast, Cedric, is for my kids. I have a, a eight-year-old Maddox and a 11-year-old McKenna.
0: So yeah, I have I'm McKenna. I'm McKenna, McKenna, I is McKenna is who was there. Yep. Yeah.
1: So do me the favor. Can you look into the screen and tell McKenna and Maddox, if you could say their name, it would be cool. Yep. Tell them a message from Uncle Cedric.
0: I got you. I got you. I got you. This is it. This is it. Because this is what I would have told me if I was 11. McKenna, Maddox, this is the gospel truth. You do two things. I narrow it down to two things. If you want to be great at life or whatever you do, do these two things. It's going to make it really easy. Do the thing that you fear and do the thing that you love. Those two things. Focus on the thing that you fear. Do that. Conquer the thing that you fear by doing it and doing it again until it's no longer something that you fear. And secondly, just as important, maybe even more, do the thing that you love. Focus, give all your effort to the thing that you love to do. There's going to be things that you must do just to live and make a living in life and and provide for yourself and provide for others. It's going to be things that you have to do. But when it comes to you giving your all to something, give your all to the thing that you love to do. Not all, not, it's too soon to talk about the person that you love to be around, but I'm talking about that one thing in life that you really, really love doing. I don't care what it is. If you love reading, give your 100% to reading. If you love flying kites, give your 100% to flying kites. Do the thing that you love as early as you can. Do you understand? I wish I could have given, I wish I would have given 100% of my effort to playing basketball, but I didn't because I didn't believe that it would pay off. But the people that are in this world That do the absolute best. They take their 100% effort and they do the thing they love doing. And they also attack the thing that they fear. By not just allowing it to just sit out there and be something that they're terrified of. For me, I had to go and actually pick up a snake at the pet store, touch it. Do the thing that you fear. I feared the distance of, of, of triple digits of a hundred miler. I feared it for years. The other Sunday, I just said, two Sundays ago, I just said, Hey, look, you know what? Enough of this. I'm going to go and attack it. Go do it. Yeah. It took a long time and it sucked pretty bad, but I don't, I, I'm not afraid of it anymore. It doesn't have that, that place in my heart that I'm terrified of it. Do the thing that you fear. Attack it, the thing that you fear. And give everything to the thing that you love. I think life only asks us for really one thing. It's it's discover the thing that you love and do it. Hmm. God asks us for that. What do you love doing? I love flying kites. Okay, do that. and Don't just do it, but do it with all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your heart. Give everything to it. And I think it'll pay off. I've seen a lot of people that's paid off for it and it's starting to pay off for me too.
1: Yes, sir. Well, I thank you so much. I thank you for being on the show. This is the time where every single one of you, you need to subscribe, click the links. Uh, the, this show is sponsored by Compton Broomhead dental, uh, Cardenas Law Group, Piper uh, Piper Diamonds. Um, But I thank you so much. You need to, this is the shameless plug and promotion area that you all know of and come to listen to on the podcast. So do all the things that you need to do. But honestly, you need to follow this guy. You need to follow Cedric. You need to have him. If you have a company, this guy needs to come and speak at your company. You need to read his book. Uh, the Making Point, how to, uh, how to Succeed When You're at Your Breaking Point, and his new book, which is going to be a new movie. But I want to thank right. you so
0: Endurance. much. Endurance. The movie's going to be called Endurance. Endurance. The going to be called Endurance. We're just waiting for uh, backers. Obviously, it's kind of a funny time to green light movies right now, but that's what the movie's going to be called Endurance.
1: Well, I I thank you so much for being on the show, man. You are absolutely phenomenal. I can't wait for part two. I want part two to be in person, so you're officially... It will be.
0: It will be. It will be. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I I thought there's a school in San Diego. There's a parochial school in San Diego. Yep. It's it's two. Of them.
1: Yeah, there's uh no, there's one in uh, San Diego. There's one in Temecula too.
0: Okay, I've been to both of those. I've been to both of those. As a matter of fact, I think I just spoke at the at the San Diego location. Um uh not too long ago okay i just spoke at the san diego location uh on a zoom chat and we had a blast man but look just letting you know look let's uh let's connect let's connect yes bring me out or or let's do another one of these and um let's get busy man
1: sounds good man i love you so much man cedric thank you so much love you back here's here's another awkward 15 seconds You see that? That was...